Hello, welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I'm Heavenly Mother and I'm conducting and presiding. We have a priesthood authority. We have Sugarcane. Hello, Sugarcane. Hello, Heavenly Mother. It's really great to talk to you again. It hasn't been long <laughs> enough. <laughs> I can talk to you literally every day. And <laughs> Twins for baby. Fun. I don't know what I'm saying. Hey, same, same, same. I'm I'm glad you're here with us on the Sabbath day to gather and to share. A beautiful Sabbath day for holy conversation <laughs> and holy communion. <laughs> true, true. So disclaimer report audience, I am working on the breathing thing, so I will mute myself in between. But you'll miss my little laugh, so I don't know. I'll have to balance it out. I'll have to balance it out. It is what it is. So today's topic is kind of a combo, but wait, which do we say we're going to lead with? The, oh, yeah. All the things Mormon stole. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all the things which that Mormon stole. Which is just everything. <laughs> true. And then we'll transition the into the cringe. <laughs> true, true, true. So... I guess, I mean, let's just start with Joseph Smith's verse, first vision, because that was part of your, like, coming to was realizing that his statements were stolen. So can you explain that? Yeah, and I, I'm actually would be curious about what you know, because for me, it was a very brief, like, it just, I, I remember just talking about it just needing, like, a little bit of a crack in, in the dam in terms of that story. Um, and it's been a while since I've had time to like research it, but I remember the story and maybe you can remind me, I remember it stating that, you know, he first had a vision and maybe it wasn't a vision. It was a dream and he saw one person or he saw one, you know, one, um, one person of the Godhead. And then that somehow changed to two people. <laughs> and at this point, I can't even tell you what the story is anymore because I've heard so many that I'm just like, what, what exactly, what, what exactly happened or did it even happen in the first place? Which is, which is, I think that was the, I think that was a catalyst that just got me thinking, like, I need to start rethinking like what the Mormon church is and understanding like what's going on. Um, and from there, it's just like, it's like not even the catacombs. It's just like a new, a new city of just like false information is opened of all the things that have that you know the the book itself, the doctrine and covenants, all the stuff that not only just like stolen but also just made up. <laughs> um, and it just it really you, like you pull the string on the sweater and the whole thing comes unraveled. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. so I'm actually curious from your perspective, like what what do you know of the story? of his theophany um so i got my bro is so like all my family kind of fell away from the church at the same time he's the one who presented the information to me so i didn't find it on mm -hmm. my own um when you're a an oppressed person in the church like a vis visibly oppressed person so like a person of color is identifiably ethnic a person who's on the lgbtq plus spectrum or a person who is a woman, <laughs> you're, you're kind of, sometimes what motivates you to get out is the oppression itself. But for other people, like for him, because he, you know, he presents as white, we're both native mixed, but finding the information was just a bigger deal than I think like for my sister who like, we're both women. So like the church sucked for us, but he found different accounts and so he informed me of that. And it was the same as what you're saying, where he's like, wait a minute. He said he saw one person. Then he saw multiple. Then it got rewritten. Like, what is going on here? And then I've always had, like, a really positive perception of a lot of Eastern faiths and religions, probably from my mm -hmm. mom, because that's where she served her mission, where she she lived as a little girl in Japan. Um She's not Japanese or of Asian descent. But anyways, um, one of the things that was very unoriginal to me was the comparisons between the prophet Muhammad and Joseph Smith. And like uh, how that yeah. went down was a little eerily similar. And then another thing was the the woman, I don't remember her name anymore, 
but the woman who started like the Seventh Day Adventist. Yeah, she had a very similar story, and actually, the church. I think it was part of the like the second like like second Great Awakening, like around the same time that that those that those uh, religious like revival groups were starting, (laughs) and the stories are unfortunately very similar. Eerily, eerily similar. And then I didn't know this either. But God, I'm just you asked one question and the can of worms, sugar can that you have <laughs> open. So don't worry, I'll let you speak. I won't just, just ramble. But no, um, you're <laughs> so um something for me was that finding those similarities on my own. And then he presented like, yeah, the first vision changed several times. And I'm like, holy Toledo. Um something that I learned was just the history around that time period. And oh. I I learned that the belief or the concept, because it's really a concept now. I don't know if anybody really believes, well, Mormons do. But this idea that Native American people were one of the lost 12 tribes, that was around before Joseph Smith was even in the picture. And that mm. belief and that concept was created to help stop the impending and ongoing genocide of indigenous people of native american people but it was also used to make excuses or reasons for why there were so many highly advanced artifacts throughout north america of like an advanced civilization Um, so if they're like oh well really it was white people it was these white presenting lost 12 tribes and you hear that still to this day throughout parts of Africa when you come across like really wow. not just Egypt, but the rest of Africa. There's like amazing artifacts or like it's one of the lost 12 tribes or like um, Roma people who are from the um, South Asian diaspora. That mm-hmm. that, that's a theory too. Oh, we're the lost 12 tribes. Like whenever you find this group of people who happens to be of color, that's super smart. Like that's the go-to. And so that was a real yeah, like- that somehow there's this and way to like culturally appropriate like anything that is good <laughs> for people of color. Like, oh, actually, you used to be white. You just kind of all screwed up. And that's why all this is looking really good. That's just so horrible. <laughs> it's a travesty. It's a travesty. And they also. I about that. You know, sorry. No, you, you go, you go. Yeah. I, just like I that terminology, I kind of forgot that that terminology, the lost tribes of Israel. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of asinine, the concept. <laughs> I feel bad for actual people that are descendants from that part of the world. Like, what a right. weird way to ruin their culture, too. <laughs> right. Like, what a weird way to be like, well, my family's actually from the land of Canaan like thousands of years ago. And we're like, well, they're everywhere now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got busy and they're everywhere. They got like, real busy. They've been traveling. <laughs> it's just, it's wild. So I found that that wasn't original. And then there were just a couple of things that, I mean, the whole time I was a member, right, as a Native American person, you see these things that you're like, I think that's just from our cultures that he stole like the myth in the book of mormon or the legend of like the stripling warriors and none of them were killed Mm. there are several eastern tribes that have a similar legend and joseph smith was alive around back there he probably could have heard one and then been like i'm gonna put this and so if people find similarities then this is the caveat because that's always, whenever similarities were found, it was always gaslit to me as a member growing up that like, well, that's because this faith is the pre, you know, it's the earliest religion on earth and it's being restored. And that's why there's similarities because it's pieces of truth everywhere. Yeah, there's always a really great spin (laughs) on things that are very obviously wrong. Like I, I I remember like trying to figure out, like someone was like, why... Why is the wording of the Book of Mormon like like the New King James English? Like, why was that the language chosen? <laughs> it's just like, and then there's just some roundabout excuse. Like, oh, it's just the language. That's just the language of God. That's just what they wanted us to be reading it in. That's just not correct. I think you just liked your Bible a lot. And you were just like, I'm going to just take it. 
I'm going to put the word in. Oh, my God. Oh, another thing that really tickles me. Because when you're a Mormon, you try to find evidence that it's true. Because that's how you, you know, sort of self-gaslight. One of the things was I would see the Book of Mormon printed in other languages. And it would be like half its size. It would be so much smaller. And I would tell myself like, oh, well, the original language of the Book of Mormon must have been similar to this this culture is like I've seen the um Farsi Book of Mormon, it's like way smaller. It's like, oh wow. well, maybe the original so the rationalizations are wild, but definitely several parts of Native American culture were stolen. And then I guess there was this book out at the time, I can't remember its name, but it was the story of the Revolutionary War when the American colonies separated from England. And there was a poet or an author who wrote about battles, but in like a biblical poetic kind of language, like a wannabe yeah. Isaiah. And parts of it are like pretty much plagiarized in the Book just of Mormon. Wow. And then another thing that was hard for me that I just, there were some last pieces for me to figure out like, okay, this is BS. And one of the last pieces was like, I don't think Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon because he wasn't very like literate. Like I've seen his letters and his personal journals. And it just isn't add up. But then the idea was like, well, you know, multiple people could have written it and multiple people could have helped him and they all could have been in on it. And that concept was like, yeah, that could be true. Because for the longest time I was like, where did the Book of Mormon come from? But then there's whole parts that are like straight up stolen. Like you said, from the King James version, And then also I was informed that the copy of the Book of Mormon that we were exposed to is so different from the original copies. And so it's not too far-fetched to think that like, yeah, he did have a hand in it. Because what we're Mm -hmm. looking at is the editor's edition, you know, like. Yeah. So I knew that was stolen. And then the temple stuff, I figured out that that got stolen fairly recently. And then the Doctrine and Covenant stuff was also eerie to me. So those well, are the stuff yeah, so, that I know was stolen. Well, I, I mean, if you speaking of the Doctrine and Covenants, I mean, I remember, I remember the last episode mentioning Emanuel Swedenborg and how much of the language of a man who really wrote um, just a just a ridiculous amount of material, um, books upon books, upon books, upon books, upon books, years before. And it's, it, it's well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's known by anybody that knew like Joseph Smith's history, but he, he read Emmanuel Swedenborg's, um, material. And, you know, Swedenborg was like a, he was, he was a spiritualist and he just like, he would categorize his spiritual experiences and he wrote about so, so much. And a lot of it was just him visiting like, other planets or other other spiritual worlds and he very much talks about like the celestial world or like the colors of of heaven and the levels of heaven um and you really can see kind of like direct parallels in the language from the doctrine and covenants if you were to go and read a lot of swedenborg's works um and it's it's I think um, for me, that was like a really huge link because I was a big, like, I loved Emmanuel Swedenborg so much uh, back then. And like, just knowing that there was like that many similarities for something for me, it's like this very unique. I don't know a lot of people who speaks about Christian religion and the way that Emmanuel Swedenborg does. And to see like literal just words just plopped into the Doctrine and Covenants, like, oh, that's just not, you just took that. Like, that's, <laughs> there's no way you would have known about that unless you read his material because there's no one else that speaks like this book, you know, um, it was really unfortunate, I think, you know, and, and the doctrine and covenants is supposed to be like a huge piece of evidence for the church, right? It's the idea that there's always new and improved, you know, direct revelation from God to someone about like what's supposed to be happening. Um, and it just, Oh God, it almost like, it makes me sick to my stomach thinking about all the things that I just disbelieved just because, 
like, oh yeah, the, you know, Melchizedek was popping up in the temple and we got, we got the priesthood right there. Boom, Aaron, all of them, they were came down. <laughs> I'm like, we just believed that all these people were just getting the priesthood and all these things were happening. <laughs> it's just such, it's all BS. Like so much of it is just be completely BS. <laughs> No, you're dead right. Like, it's so unfortunate. And then part of the theology or the doctrine, as they say, that word almost triggers me. Because you know what I mean? Like, because it was so misused by the church. But there there were a couple things that I thought were so original. And what it is, is that it's not very original. It's that other Christian churches have abandoned the ideas. So one of the things that I learned on my mission and I just accepted it because right when you find the similarities to the Mormon faith to other faiths, it's like, well, they had that part of the truth or whatever. But I learned that medieval Christian Europeans, like back in medieval times did believe in fact, in a pre-earth life and that your pre-earth decisions determined your life now. And so I mentioned that in, I think it aired already no, no, not yet. I mentioned that in another episode with my sister about body shaming, because that's what medieval Europeans would use to justify why they like mistreated people that had physical abnormalities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was they're like, this is for you to suffer because you were wicked back then. And now you're in a different spiritual plane so wow. that they could go to heaven and have a perfect body and, and heaven would be insured because this life needed to be hell for them. So they were on this different spiritual plane. And it's so interesting because in medieval Europe, right, the concept of race didn't exist. Um, People hated others because of different languages that they spoke or different religions. But the concept of race, which is your phenotype genes, is what you look like. That that came out later. That came out in the 1600s. The Mormon church completely borrowed that and stole that. And has explained people's physical abnormalities or just people's full-on race by this pre-earth life decisions. And medieval European people would also use those beliefs to really just justify their feudalism and justify their monarchies, you know, that you were wicked and that's why you're a poor little peasant and and they these kings and queens were righteous and the Mormon church still perpetuates those ideas that like you're a little bit responsible for your life circumstances. And so that part of the church, I always thought was so original. We believed in this pre-earth existence. I'm like, no, not at all. Like it used to be a huge part of European Christianity. Other Christian faiths just abandoned it over time. It's it's really, (laughs) it's, it's incredibly unfortunate. Like, I mean, how much of, like philosophy and the enlightenment and in science was really like, I mean, I mean, you can almost say that the church in and of itself stole those ideas in order to like justify their own, you know, their own like religious thinking, um, not to go off on, on racism, but I mean, it was completely, you know, it was, it, it, it the Mormon doctrine wasn't, wasn't outside of the, of the ballpark in terms of believing that certain, you know, characteristics or looks were inherently, you know, uh, of lesser value or inherently were evil or inherently had something wrong with them. That just was a part of the thinking of the day. Um, and it just, I mean, it just, the, the Mormon doctrine made sense. And, and they're not the only church that did that, you know, that actually, you know, they're not the only church that did allow, you know, people of color or, you know, people from tribal, you know, you know, countries or um, to hold the priesthood power or to be ordained. It was pretty common back then, you know what I mean? They just had a really, they just had a uh, a very supernatural excuse. And as we've already mentioned, you know, metaphors and spirituality, when you don't have a lot of proof and you can just say that God did it and God said it and everything seems to be pretty, <laughs> pretty okay. Like things just start to somehow magically make sense when you can put it in a, a giant metaphor for what God has told you is correct, uh, unfortunately. Oh, I agree. I completely agree. And it's okay if that topic ties in. I just, (laughs) it's heavy, but it's part of, I mean, I think it's really hard for LDS people, Mormon people, still believing Mormon people to make those kind of connections and to, yeah, like you said, there's always like a, a wonderful little lie to excuse it. Like the answers that the, like the church will never fail to give you answers. And that was also, 
that's also a sign of a cult because there isn't really just a a mystery because the cracks are so big and the mysteries are so huge like right. the lies are that they they can't just let it exist they have to make an excuse because the factors are just too large right. and then other things like oh my gosh i'm trying to see what else what else was stolen definitely language oh yeah the I think it's Greek or it's Ethiopian. One of those Orthodox faiths, like super old Catholic faiths or Christian faiths, mm. do believe in three separate beings. Oh, really? One of them, yeah, one of them. My mom found out in like some magazine or some newspaper article. It's like this little known secret that like they're, I think it's a Greek Orthodox. I could be wrong. If someone is Greek Orthodox, please clarify. Um, but they do believe in like the Trinity being separate. And the Trinity was also a hot topic that I didn't know either. I didn't right. know either that during the Great Awakening and during those times in history, the things that the Mormon church established, just like you said, just like with the racism, other churches were doing it too. And the idea that Native Americans were in the lost 12 tribes, all that stuff was not uncommon. It was like the new age of the time. It was like the crystals of the 1800s. <laughs> crystals like doesn't right. matter what you are pagan atheist everybody loves crystals that was there are so many pieces of information and pieces of mormon culture that were once kosher were once popular were once right. cool and then everyone else abandoned them and the mormons were like we're gonna hold firm to this <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna keep riding on this plane until, yeah. until we have to pull out literally <laughs> Which they really aren't. Like, there's just, it's very, very wild. And it's been comforting seeing the positive progress the world has made, but also really validates and vindicates, like, how happy I am that I left the church is because they're not keeping up. You know, like, they're not keeping up with other changes that the world and society as a whole are making. They're, like, clinging to certain ideas. So... You know, I, I I think about that a lot, and I because I, I kind of make a parallel to uh, being being a marine, uh, just because there are like certain things that happen in like in in uh, I should say in like in politics where like the service branches had to make a decision about what was important for them. One of them was one of them was like integration of of black people into into the service and the marine corps took the longest time to do that they were the very last service branch to make that decision um because they just kept believing that it was just going to be you know you know all every all the horrible excuses you could think for why it's, it's not okay for this to happen um and i just you know there's not that everybody has their time because you can obviously stick your stick your heels into the mud and stay there as long as you want but there's obviously evidence that the church has had to break down some like some of the things simply because it was just not politically correct to do so anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, you know, polygamy and just like um, uh, the, the, the uh, priesthood ordination. Um, and for a little bit, there was the controversy for we, women being ordained in the priesthood. You know, there's just like... If that is not evidence enough that like religion changes, you know, because it's highly politicized, um, and that, that your doctrines aren't as true as you believe it is. And the only excuse that the church will give you is that, oh, there's a new revelation out. <laughs> it turns out, yeah, y'all y'all are right. <laughs> Black people should get to the priesthood. Y'all are right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't, you know, have, you know, 30 wives because we just don't, because we can I agree. And I was thinking this because I, I listen to Audible. So I say I read. I don't. I listen to Audible, just to clarify. I listen to books all the time. Like <laughs> you know, it's a great everything. way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's my task. I cook and do it. I can drive and do it. But I was reading this book by a woman who was the daughter of, his last name's LeBaron. And he was like a big polygamist leader. And she discusses, I'm at the part of the book where they're celebrating Christmas for the first time. And as a fundamentalist Mormon family, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know if they're a family. They're just this poor group of oppressed kids. <laughs> One dad and a bazillion moms. How little Christ or Jesus is ever talked about. And that's something that like really stood out to her because her faith would publicly claim to be Christian. And I'm thinking that was another big change that the Mormon church had to make too, was to be more Christ centered out of political Mm. pressure because being Christian is kosher. And so many people are uncomfortable with several things about the Mormon faith but if they think that there's anything Christian related, they're like, okay, well that sits better with me. But for a long time, I mean, Jesus was like barely even in the title, right? Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like it was so long. And that's another example of like, they really do wiggle and weasel and make themselves more digestible for political reasons. And then another little fun fact I didn't realize until like I was really ready to leave. I was already told you this, but I read this book called Combating Cult Mind Control by Steve Hassan. And at the very end of the book, uh, he just talks about, you know, the red flags of a cult. But he mentions and I didn't know this. It's like 2020 I learned this. Joseph Smith was a convicted felon before he started the church. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was convicted of fraud. He was convicted of fraud. Before he started the church. I didn't know that. That is so kept under wraps. Of course. And I had to go like fact check it, obviously. Well, you do the best that I can to fact check it. And like, that's exactly true. And like, that's just one of those things. Like if you really, for deconstructing Mormons, when you're ready to see what was stolen or when you're ready to see the math that isn't mathing, like I said in our last episode, (laughs) the math isn't mathing, the evidence will pour out like the evidence will. will be very very clear like i said this in another episode so many stake presidents are wealthy men who are not theologians mm-hmm. they're not scriptorians or not even spiritual they're kind of cringy and embarrassing which we'll get to yeah. um and then you think about the 12 apostles and the leaders of the church and the lack of diversity that doesn't make any sense. Like the math, like the, the stuff that's stolen and the cracks will be obvious once you're ready to step out. And I think being ready is super important because I mean, you're, you're, you're always going to be confronted with the, like the Mormon excuse for things when you're confronted with evidence of the church you're always going to be confronted with like well yeah but you know the you know the priesthood you know or the 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 prophet did say or the apostles did say this and that was the excuse you have to be ready to look at it with a very objective lens if not you get like stuck in that same kind of mormon loop of of thinking of things totally like metaphysically um which you know i it's funny because i love being very metaphysical i love the supernatural um, but I love uh, like objectivity about those things in a weird way, like understanding that, you know, you know, what about the fact that no one ever saw these golden plates and anybody that ever said they saw them said they saw them in a vision <laughs> or it was just one person that like came out and was like, oh, yeah, it's true. Like, I, I just, you know, there's like this is not there's <laughs> there is a degree of like scientific like evidence that you need in order to prove for something to be like to be literally true. And there's just not enough evidence. There just really isn't, you know what I mean? Um, It's just totally different from someone who like doesn't have any reason to lie to you, right? Like if someone is like, well, no, I don't, I'm not gaining anything from this. You're not giving me any money. I'm not getting any power from this. I'm not trying to build a coalition of people around me to support this notion of of salvation. I just, I just think I, I just had this crazy, just crazy dream. I'm not putting any, you know, as you said, not putting a moral value on it. I'm not trying to put anything on it. But when these stakes are so high of like, you you are saying that this is affecting a lot of people, you probably should have a better, you probably should have some better evidence about what it is. And your book should not be as, as like, like breakdownable as the Book of Mormon is. Cause you really, I mean, they've torn that book to shreds of how bad that thing was like I mean like when you read it you're like oh this is really nice it's a really cool really great story it's just a it's just a hodgepodge of, of, of stuff and, and it really when you take an objective lens to it there's just too much you know 
I agree. I agree. And the like I said before in our last episode, the best parts of the Book of Mormon are the parts that are likely stolen. Right. Like <laughs> Lehi's dream is in that dream, that vision is in several different cultures. Like it doesn't yeah. just exist within the one and then oh no sorry if you can hear sirens in the background just ignore that <laughs> they're outside my apartment um <laughs> so but i think you're exactly right and mm, i think we'll have to do it sometime do an episode my sister has brought it up as well but there's certain elements of oh, white supremacy and white supremacy mm-hmm. culture and the church, I think, uses them. So we'll have to explain it. We don't have time for this one. <laughs> explain it in another episode that there's different elements of that. Because one of those, and the other co-host, Bishop Jensen, he brought up that this really toxic thing that's in the Mormon faith is, I feel it to be true, therefore it is true. And you lead with emotion, which isn't bad to a point. I think that that's healthy. Like, your heart and your mind should guide you. Like, I understand that it should all be connected. I'm into that. But when you're conditioned as a Mormon, that when you feel uncomfortable, Oh, that means it's not true. That's the devil. That's the Holy ghost is lying to you. You really mess with people because the church trained me at least probably for you too. Cause we all have like our inner instincts. We all have that little, like that gut feeling that we have the thought we think before we can think the, the, and it gets you. But with the Mormon church, you're trained that like, well, if it doesn't co-align with what's been taught, then it's a lie. So if you feel this gut feeling, you know, you go to the temple for the first time, you might feel uncomfortable or someone says something over the pulpit, you might feel uncomfortable. You read a passage in the book of Mormon. That's very racist. You feel uncomfortable. And you have this, and then the Mormon excuses come in of, well, but it's this. And then you rationalize the uncomfortable feeling. I think that's part of it. But also that like right to comfort is a product of white supremacy, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Because really, yeah, it's it's deep. <sighs> I don't know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I No, I, I completely agree. And... You know, I always come back to like, it, like, especially when you grow up in the church. Um, and I can only parallel to like my own experience of growing up in this religion in general. Um, you know, there's there's conditioning involved in how you think. You know what I mean? And usually, yeah, you might have a gut feeling about something, but I had a gut feeling for a long time that I was not supposed to be gay. You know what I mean? It was the constant playback in my mind that I was not supposed to be this person and I had to change. And, and that's, I mean, it's un- unfortunately like your, your gut can lie to you, especially can lie to you if you've been fed a lot of wrong information. And I do think that it's entirely possible that you, that you get like a gut feeling about something that you feel uncomfortable about, like almost instinctively because that's the kind of person that you are. And I think you are definitely that kind of person. You know what I mean? Um, and you, again, you rationalize it because you take, your mind takes over and says, well, I've been taught this, you know what I mean? So maybe I need to rethink my gut feeling. And so I think it's so important, you know, that there's a combination of like your mind and your heart, like, what are you feeling? And also like, what are you learning? And if you don't take the time to really understand both and really spread out and learn, (laughs) A little bit more, you you're just gonna be you're gonna be tricked by these feelings that you know tell you that you know that what be that you you just you're just gonna be, just get get stuck in the same loop. Unfortunately, I remember one time it's kind of more going into the cringe of of being at church and hearing um, a talk by our pastor, and he said something that was just like really off kilter for me, and I just didn't like the moment passed by so fast. And I just, I thought about it for a second and I was like, like, what? And the rationalization kicked in so fast that I was like, well, you know what? He's the pastor. If he said it, well, that's supposed to be true. So I'm just going to believe that. And that's, that's, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to do that. Right. Like there, there was obviously something that in my, in my heart of hearts was like, I don't think I would, I don't think it matters. I just probably just tell you the story. It's nothing too crazy, but it's definitely going into the cringe factor. I remember 
speaking to, I mean, the, the pastor was speaking about the way that he treats homeless, the, the homeless population. And he just very kind of cavalier, like stated, he was like, well, I would never give someone who's homeless money because they're probably just going to buy, you know, alcohol with it, but I'll give them like a plate of food. And I was like, I so quickly went from to, to oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to change my whole outlook about homeless people and never give them money again because a pastor said it, right? <laughs> and I look back at that and I was like, ooh, that was super, super cringy thing to say. Like, you know, like, like, I'll, I mean, I would, I would never say something like that. And you, I'd never put a pedestal on the, like, the, the, the thing that you want to give and the reason why you want to give for whatever reason why you feel like it's important. And, and that was just like, that was one of those moments that I was like, yeah, you, you probably shouldn't have trusted your gut or trusted your mind on that. You probably should have lived more analytical in that moment, but you just don't have the tools to do it. I love that story. That's exactly right. Because it's very, which is also the white supremacy. It's like that parentalism where like, I'm going to decide for you. I'm already deciding what you would do. I'm imagining this hypothetical, hypothetical possibility that we have no factor basis to go off of. And I'm saying that's going to happen. So I'm going to control for you very much like a parent, my way of the highway, what I give to you which is such a <laughs> thanksgiving just happened just tickles me reminds me of this it reminds me of just like the drastically different way like as indigenous people we give gifts versus like white americans <laughs> like, the way they give gifts is like very odd it's like now that i gave this gift you owe me and if you use this <laughs> gift the way that i want you to i will take it back and like that's that vibe to me but this is a hilarious true story it's a testament to fresno california because it's happened and i'm not i'm not lying so i was with my best friend in the car she was driving there was a homeless gentleman who had a sign that said why lie i want a beer i kid you not on the that freeway that you go by the water park you know what i'm talking about oh gosh the man (laughs) pulled his car over and handed what looked like a cold, I could see the condensation, a cold beer to this homeless gentleman. And it was, it was amazing. I was like, did you, both of us, like, did you just see that? And she's like, we just saw what you think we saw. We, we experienced this. And it was so funny because it's not what you expect. Like just the honesty and the hilarity of those two people was amazing. Yeah, and really the you. opposite of like what that yeah, I got you. Yeah. Like, the opposite of what that pastor was saying, like that type of mentality. Like give someone a gift as I'm not I don't want to sound like I'm promoting I don't need to caveat or clarify when you give someone a gift that is truly what they're asking for or truly what they need, like, isn't that the spirit of gift giving? You know what I mean? Instead of like, yeah, like I know what's better for you. So I'm going to give you this. And I was like, you're not my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you treating me like your child? (laughs) So this was a pastor when you were little or was it a bishop? No, this was, this was a bishop. I see that. I see that. Oh my, oh God, this reminds me of another cringy, similar, similar wavelength, but in the opposite way where you're like, sir, you're not safe. So this was, this was in Idaho and there's like several prisons in Idaho or maybe there's two, I don't know, but it seems to be like a prison-y place. Like I feel like there's a lot, I could be crazy, but I feel like for the population, there's a lot. So this Bishop was telling this story that, (laughs) okay, sorry, as two people from California will just die inside, (laughs) that he always, I can't even, okay, he'll give me a minute. He, he always he always pulls over for hitchhikers. For the what? Oh, for hitchhikers, he always pulls oh, over. Oh gosh! And his his brother in law in the story was like, you know, I only pull over when the spirit tells me to to give them a ride. <laughs> and then this, <laughs> this bitch. I'm sorry. 
And this bishop, I can't, I kept this story hidden inside me for years. Then this bishop goes, and he's like, and I told my brother-in-law, I only don't pull over when the spirit tells me to. Sir, there are signs in Idaho that say, do not stop hitchhikers. Like we have... And you know what? Not everyone that goes to prison is a bad person. People can change. I'm not trying to be judgmental in that way, but like never in my goddamn life would I pull over for a like, I don't care if, you, if you're another woman. <laughs> I don't care if I don't you have... whatever sob story you're giving me, like my life is oh, at God. stake. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, we're just going to have to be, we're going to have to be selfish about this one. I've watched too many Netflix specials. I've seen too many <laughs> oh. I hope your feet are good because you're still happy to walk. Sis. Oh, I'll give you some money for the best. Period. So, for real. I'll give you the money for the best because I cannot I'll, do that. I'll, I'll call somebody no. for you maybe if I feel comfortable to stop the car, but we're out in the middle of nowhere. Like Idaho is wilderness. Like Idaho has, you know, miles of nothing like this suspicion like the street smarts that this man doesn't have (laughs) like it was and he's sitting over the pulpit telling us this like sir you're lucky to be alive (laughs) like and not like pseudo pseudo preaching you know what i mean because we take everything to heart in the church Mm -hmm. you know half of them were just like yeah the next hitchhiker the next hitchhiker i see it's it's getting picked up horror story channel five news (laughs) It was wild to me, like, and I wouldn't expect accept a ride from anybody. You know what I mean, like vice versa. Like if I, like I said, I hope my shoes are good. I'm a walk-in. Like I will not expect a ride. Like the the reverse is true for me. Like I wouldn't accept a ride, and I wouldn't offer a ride to someone I saw on the side of the road. Like that just isn't. In what universe, man, is that? A, and maybe back in the day when hitchhiking was more safe, but like this was like 2016. This man is saying this, like, yeah. so out of touch. The cringe is cringing. <laughs> I more, I know I have so many. I have so many cringy. Well, just out. like I want to hear them all. So many cringy Mormon cultural experiences that I just couldn't. I think the a really big factor was just the cultural intolerance that I wasn't like the other people at BYU Idaho, because mm-hmm. my parents were converts and I grew up in a not Mormon predominant place, but they were never understanding if I did things differently. But I was always expected to like get with the program. Yeah, like, get with it. Yeah, get with it, and like that was very bizarre to me. Like. You know, like just the way, because I have, if someone, if a man is offending me, I will tell him. And like, that's a huge Mormon cultural no-no. And I would have other women try to rein me in or other women assign morality to that or other women judge me and tell me to calm down. Or I'm like, that man just shouted at me to shut up and you are telling me to calm down. Like, it was just very... I just can't I imagine, I can't imagine like being in that situation, especially for you, and it's being like, you want me to do what? No, because I'm about to throw hands, let alone trying to be a pleasant woman in the Mormon church. <laughs> it's not going to go down well. I mean, I felt like my, I mean, well, and then at that point too, I had been threatened already. So I just like, the safety factors were just so different. And I was getting so gaslit about it because everyone was so hung up with this idea that like, Mormon people are safe. Like Mormon men wouldn't hurt you. And like one of them literally threatened to kill me. Like I don't know what to tell you. Like so that's I don't even know if that's cringe. I think it just made it really sad. We'll have to rope around with a funny yeah. story. But that really was my my general God. But it also I think in places that are heavily Mormon and you don't get a lot of outside influence, I think those things just get worse. You know what I mean? Like just a little more. Mm-hmm elevated let me think whatever what other cringy i've shared i've shared some already on these episodes (laughs) oh nice i don't know what it was for me i don't know why this was cringy to me um i mean there's i guess there's a couple but 
Well, I'll say this. I'll say this as a general, a general cringe. Just, it just, just, yeah, just because it was so, and and it's funny because I'm like talking about cringe for myself, but it was so like cringy to me to see someone, a man, who in my heart of hearts, like I know, this is this is a tried and true homosexual, like this is a gay. <laughs> This is a gay man. And I, I mean, I mean like, oh my, I, to the point where like, it was, it was, it was like, it was taking me off my testimony. Cause I was like, not only is this man gay, but like I would get with him. Like, and I would flirt. I was so bad. Cause I, I was always the bishop's office. Like it just happened again. I've been thinking about it. I remember meeting one and he was like, he was like really into his like Italian ties. He would just had all this flair in the world. He was a Sunday school teacher. He just walked with the best kind of curve. And I was just like, this gay man is about to stay in this damn church and get married. And I am too. And I didn't know like how to reconcile with seeing someone so obviously like gay. And, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't say that, you know, cause I, I, you know, it's in, in the church, we usually don't assign the idea is to not assign that those labels right away, right? Because one, everyone has a story. Everyone has their time coming out. You know, people might have to like experience what it actually means to be gay or to be bisexual or to or to be in you know um, on the spectrum. I should say spectrum on the um, to be fluid in terms of sexuality or the gender. And so you you learned as to be mature and to like let people take you know let them have their space. But it's it, but it's like the switch of like being in the church where you're supposed to be a spiritual man. You're supposed to be like this upright man. And I'm like, that's an FAG, like that one right there. Like I know, and I know you guys are not silly enough to not understand how much of a gay man this is. It was so cringy to see it, even though I was a church member. And I was like, oh my God, her? What do you mean? You're going to marry a woman? No, just stay single, girl. It's not going to work out. I'm telling you, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's so bad. That wasn't even what I was going to say, but I'm. it's just funny because I just it, the dude just popped into my head. And I was like, oh gosh, I wonder where he's at right now in life. I wonder if he has like kids. <laughs> like I don't know. It would just be good, but I mean, like kids with as you mentioned, kids with a woman. <laughs> I just—it's hard. It was hard for me to see it. Uh, I think about those men all the time. There was a few of them, even in Fresno, that I was like, "Gosh, I know the ones." Poor things. Because we talk, yeah, I know the ones. I know the. <laughs> what was <your laughs> I know the ones. I remember those dances and those oh, gosh. parties, and they were. Um, I it's funny because it's oh, I was gonna say I don't remember <laughs> why I thought this was so cringy to me, but. I remember the first time that I had learned that like most your like Mormon young men participate in like what is it like Eagle Scouts? Yeah. What is that called? Yeah, like yeah, Eagle and, and like the yeah. and like the the choose the right thing. Is is that what it is? When CTR. You get, like, the yeah. CTR. So there was, it's Boy Scouts, and then when you get older, it becomes Eagle Scouts. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and what what is CTR in relation to that? It's choose the right, and it's a little ring you get when you get baptized when you're a kid. And it's supposed to remind you to always choose the right. And it's like a little Mormon don't sin thing. Feel ashamed at all times, basically. I think for some reason, when I like processing that, it 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 made me feel bad for like kids growing up in an environment where like you're automatically just like, you know. And I don't. And the only thing I I can relate it to is when I was a child and. It's like your entire life is just this church. Like you go to the little church, you know, youths program and you learn the rituals and you do their dances and you're, you're stuck in that environment. And it's the only thing, you know, and you only hang around other people from that church. And I just, my, my, my mind was like, Oh, like you've been indoctrinated in this for a very, very, very long time to the point where this is, this is really all, you know, and even as a Mormon, that kind of just like it cringed me out a little bit because I just didn't like it. I almost felt like almost internally bad for these for these people who are like this is all they know. 
all they all they've been doing is hanging out with all these little Mormon boys and their and their parents and like going out on hikes and choosing the right and getting their little rings. <laughs> I just thought it was very weird to me. Um, you know, it's funny because I wasn't jealous of the experience at all. I really appreciated not you know being an environment, but it's not like I didn't experience that for myself in my own church. We did the same exact thing. You know, all I knew was like those those church rituals and those church programs and those youth programs. Um, I just, you know, was a hellion by age 11 already. I was already thinking about what I wanted to do outside of that, but it's still hard to get out. I agree. And that is, it is sad to look back on it. Um, I finished God Me My Audible Books. That could, I could do a whole episode on <laughs> me, Evelyn Mother and all her Audible Books, but there's one called Escaping Utopia that I felt like I needed to read because I had read other cult-related material. But Escaping Utopia is specifically about adults who, as children, were raised in a cult. And the ending is pretty powerful. There's some formalities or, like, cult criteria that Yanya Lalich, the author, believes that, like, don't quite sit as well with me. Like, I really believe in the bite model, and that's what I use to measure a cult. Um, But I still love Yanya Lalich. But anyways the most she also didn't her and steve hassan didn't grow up in a cult they were like you they were like your experience where they found it as adults got in and got out like oh yeah but for children that were raised in it at the end of the book there's like quotes from the adults who you know were raising it as kids and it was really inspiring and really amazing and like kind of made me emotional but one of them said something that like really hit me there's two different quotes when I get real deep, real emotional. <laughs> um, but one quote he said was, our parents were fooled and tricked into joining, but we never were. We always knew what it was. We just didn't know how to get out. Wow. And that like, like, like it blew me away, but it's all those times where my gut was lying to me or my head was lying to me or my heart was lying to me. But some other part of me was like, I don't know if this is right. This doesn't fit right. Right. This doesn't seem right. Some other, you know, part of me, but like you said, you rationalize and you can't always trust your feelings. And that was constantly going on. And then another thing that Yanya pointed out that like, I still like blows me away we might go over an hour a little bit just to talk about it because I want to know your insights. <laughs> but because um, I've I've been sharing it because it was just so good. They interviewed like 65 different adults that were in cults. And then she profiles like six interviewees and then like has their stories because the six were chosen because their experiences kind of sum up the other 65, like the other 58 or 59. God, I can't do math interviewees <laughs> and there was something that she said that i was like i don't even know how to handle this every single one of the interviewees having no certain knowledge and some of them so some of them were in cults that were like right under your nose like the mormon church type like yeah. it's a cult but it's still in the world like you see them and then there were some that were from like fucking bunkers like compounds like yeah wow so that's like a pretty big spectrum and some were sex cults, some weren't, some were religious, some were yoga, like they're all varieties. Every single one of these kids having no evidence and nothing to support it and being told quite the opposite, every single one of them believed that there was a better world out there. Wow. Every single, it almost makes me cry. Every single one of them knew that there was something more that they were nicer people, that there was a better world and that they're just, there was more than this. And they were told the opposite every fucking day. The world was a bad place. There was nothing else. And they never, or maybe at points they did believe it, but at some point they all like had that deep within them that like, no, this is, there's more than this. And I like, can't, handle that like is there truly an objective truth out there like we'll just feel it (laughs) how did they know how did these kids know they all knew and some of them it took a while but they all knew that like this ain't it it's it's really 
it's 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 I don't know it's it's hard to tell. I mean, I have my own opinions about it, right? And that is totally based on like my biases when it comes to spirituality. Um, but like a, like if you're trying to think objectively, you know how like how how do you know like 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 what is it that really like? And I can only chalk it up to just us being so individualistic, you know that sometimes even like our social identity groups or the the people that we 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 force ourselves into these boxes, and it only takes someone to say, "I don't think I fit here." Like, what else is what else is going on about me that like I can, I don't fit here? And some people just really hang on to that. They just they just find out pretty quickly that like whatever this box is that you're trying to fit me in. It's not working. It's not working for me. And it's really just, I feel like I, I, I can only say it. It's the only word I can think of as a blessing to know that like you can have the strength to find yourself, you know, even though you're told something completely different about the way you're supposed to live or who you're supposed to be. And gosh, I mean, thank <laughs> Thank whoever, thank God, thank Moroni, thank <laughs> that we have the, the ability to have that kind of like introspection. Otherwise, I don't, you know, like, but it's just, you know, it's it's just not, it's not enough, right? It's it's not enough. Like, we, we can't be left to our own devices to figure this thing out. You know, thankfully, people um, pe people do, and they, they, they find a way to get out, but how many other people are still suffering inside these these cults because they just you know they, they just don't really ever come to that realization that there's something better um and it, that's i think that's the sad part for me it's that you know people really fight to have that and fight to have their own individualism and some people just keep it they just say oh yeah this you know this is fine i can live with it like imagine all the people and it's so interesting it's funny i was watching this documentary it's a fake documentary like on netflix and it's making fun of cults and it talks oh my headphones are about to fall off <laughs> um uh, but it, it's like it, it like makes fun of this one guy who like even after the cult dies off and the leader does not exist and is completely a fraud the guy's like oh no i still follow the teachings of this cult leader you know what i mean it's like obviously there's there there the opposite can happen which is you just totally ingrained in this idea and this truth that you just can't see out of it um and i think you know podcasts like this and people like us who have the opportunity to reach out and tell stories and be there for people are super important because i would hate to let that just be you know that just be it where people just have to figure it out for themselves <laughs> and somehow in a bunker this this child says i don't think i really want to, <laughs> i don't think i really want this life i think there might be something else so sad oh i think you're exactly right i agree that is why i do it and it is healing for me just because i I felt so helped by the material that I found. Like when I read Combating Cult Mind Control and I was like, holy shit, like yeah. I'm in a cult. Like when I had that and, and also like, I also think it's important that we as ex-Mormons, because I haven't found, I found some and they're amazing, but there's not a lot of BIPOC ex-members. You know what I mean? Like, even though I'm yeah. mixed, obviously, and get racialized as white and had my identity attempted to be erased, that's a lot to unpack. But by the church, not by my family, they never like hit it for me. But you know what I mean? It's still nice. Like, there's a lot of ex Mormons that are like you, that look like you, that have a similar story, and we never hear from them. They're just out there right. in silence. And so you're like, of a voice of many, like we are legion. <laughs> we are well, many. Like, <laughs> we are legion. We represent. You know, <laughs> same with Alder Jackson and Bishop Jensen. They do represent mass groups of people. Um, but I do think if I if there's anyone that's like 
man, sugar cane and Heavenly Mother relatable. Like I would like that. Like I thank you, oh, ex cult um, member. Let's join. <laughs> let's join together. Let's all join hands. All join hands. Have you seen us? Have you yeah, seen that so, movie? Yeah. <laughs> that's the vibe. That untethered be free. Like that's the. We yeah, all have yeah. some like. We all, I mean, okay, it's not to get really deep. What is wrong with me? I didn't even, I'm not high or nothing. Yeah, I'm right. just, what if we all kind of have like a, you know, there's probably someone very similar to me that is tethered. They're stuck in the church, you know? Like, oh, completely. There's some I, sort I mean, of similar person just, to me that's trapped in there. Like, and I don't know how to like reconcile. Oh, shoot, hold on. 